0: Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Ryan LaVarnway, did I pronounce your s- surname wrong? Ryan
1: LaVarnway, you're not the first to get that wrong, that's okay.
0: Okay, Ryan is the current Miami Marlins, AAA, Jacksonville Jumbo shrimp catcher. A Yale University graduate, Ryan was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 2008 where he also won a World Series in 2013. Since making his Major League debut in 2011, Ryan has spent played in, in parts of 10 seasons with 8 different Major League Baseball teams. Ryan has also been on a member of the Israeli National Baseball team at multiple points in his career He first played for Team Israel at the 2007 World Baseball Classic and was named Pool A MVP and then rejoined the team for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Ryan has served as guest lecturer for a class titled Baseball as Philosophy at Harvard University. He has also been invited to speak at Yale Law School, Kent State University, the Indianapolis public school leadership summit and numerous Jewish community centers and temples across the United States. After being a professional athlete for a large part of his life, Ryan has developed numerous attributes that have allowed him to be successful in his endeavors, both on and off the field. So welcome onto the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So if we go back to the early days, what was for you, and what made baseball stand out as your sport of choice growing up?
1: My, my dad was always playing baseball. I was always at pickup games on the weekends. And I guess I never really tried other sports, I guess. I was a kid, and when I was five years old, they took me out to a t-ball field, and I, I just took to it. Something about the feeling of hitting the ball and just running the bases – chasing a fly ball through the, through the air. I just loved it right away.
0: Were you naturally uh, a catcher straight from the get-go or was it kind of uh, an adopted position?
1: I started catching when I was seven and I think I became the team's catcher mostly because I was the only kid that wasn't afraid to do it. <laughs> I'm also probably the slowest runner in the whole league at this point as long as everyone's healthy, taking that into account. So catcher allows me to be slower and still be one of the best in the world as as an athlete, whereas running speed would be considered one of the top factors of, of athleticism. That's a skill that I don't have, but the catcher position allows that to be unimportant.
0: Do you think you're a little bit humble with that? Because obviously you've got to know every single pitcher in your organization's pitches so it's all how i would probably perceive it it is probably doesn't get the credit that it deserves it would probably be on par with say the quarterback and that's the most influential person in the nfl
1: yeah i'd say so the the catcher position a lot of times ends up being thankless i think it's the lowest paid position league-wide in the majors but it also has probably the most responsibility It's also a position that takes a long time to get good at. I'd say right now the gold standard, the best in the world for the last generation has been Yadier Molina. And he broke into the league when he was in his early 20s. Gold gloves, World Series, caught no hitters. They asked him when he thought he was finally a good catcher. and He said it wasn't until he was 31 because you need to be in the league, learn how to call pitches, learn how to separate your offense and your defense. There's just a lot that goes into it.
0: You don't. I don't think you don't think about that in terms of what the what the skill set needs to go in, and that didn't even probably cross my mind in terms of what you're talking about offense, defense of setting it up, and then it's going to be dependent on the type of person that's coming to that bat, what what part of the of the game are we in, all sorts of things like that in terms of like the the um the minor details because I can't get the word out the the things of that of the minor details that you have to go to obviously the other probably the other person in the organization would be the team manager would have that kind of responsibility
1: yeah there's so much information on every hitter that comes to the plate every pitcher and their repertoire of spin rate velocity perceived velocity arm angle there's so much that goes into it and you could come out with a game plan and then you still got to remember that that pitcher is a human being he's not a robot so every day it's going to be a little different so you have to find a way to take that scouting report, take everything you know about the pitcher and each of the hitters, and still use your eyes and play the game. That's why we play the game in the first place, right?
0: So how difficult is it for you specifically of, of, of being in, in 10 organ, different organizations? Then? And that's not even mentioning the minor leagues. Yeah, it's, it's uh,
1: definitely been an interesting journey. Um, I joke with my, my newest teammates on this team that I've probably had over a thousand teammates in the course of my career. And over half of those are probably pitchers who I work with every single day. So I've gotten very used to a pitcher coming into the game in the heat of the moment. And I, I end up having to ask them sometimes, hey, what pitches are you gonna throw today? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that just for to to get you you and yourself locked into that specific game?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes if I get traded to a team and I'm playing on the first day or two that I'm there or I get called up to the big leagues and I didn't have spring training with that club or someone got traded, I might not know the pitcher's name until he steps on the mound. I might never have seen a ball out of his hand. And now I'm in the heat of competition with with tens of thousands of people in the stands on national television, seeing this guy's pitches for the first time when it matters, when it counts.
0: And how to, to explain to the audience because because I, I read the article when you explained this and, and, and I don't think you think of that unless you're involved in the sport of okay, even the NBA or the NFL is probably not that extreme because okay, the NFL is only playing once a week. Uh, the, the NBA is looking to not do back to back. so the likelihood of of okay, their seasons are a lot longer in comparison of what we're looking at. 8 weeks for the NFL, 82 games for the NBA and obviously the uh the baseball season 182 games. So talk to us about the 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 transition that you and your your family have had to do over the your your your, your career of being one moment in time being in one organization being one place playing a specific schedule and then obviously being called up or being traded and then obviously having to be Uh, ended up on I think the story you had to be at a ballpark a specific time and then get ready to pit uh, to play straight away
1: yeah so my career has been I think I've turned into the definition of what they call a journeyman whereas when I was drafted by the Red Sox in 2008 I thought I would be with the Red Sox for my entire career until I retired I, I pictured myself moving to Boston meeting a woman in Boston and getting married and raising a family, and maybe just living there the rest of my life. And that wasn't the case. I was with the Boston organization for seven years and up and down to the major leagues, back to the minor leagues, 10 times over the course of the last four seasons. Since then, I've been on 12 other teams, two of them twice at AAA and the big leagues. So I think I've lived in 15 states over the past nine years, and sometimes I move four to five times a year changing teams along the way. The most maybe drastic version of that was I was playing with the New York Yankees in AAA, which their AAA team is in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where the TV show The Office is set, and I was released from the team on a Wednesday. Basically, your services are no longer needed, the sports equivalent of being fired. We had, had played a 1 o'clock game that day, so I was I was fired, basically. I was released at 4 p.m. Eastern. I had been talking to the Pirates a little bit on the side because I played to the, with the Pirates the year before about trying to get back with them. I'd had a good relationship with the front office, but they had a game at, at 7 o'clock Central. So between the time I was released at 4 and the t- time their game ended at 10 p.m., The Yankees had called me back and said, Hey, actually, one of our other catchers just got hurt. We need you. The Reds had called and said, Hey, two of our catchers got hurt. We'll put you in the big leagues tomorrow. And then when the Pirates game was over, they called and said, Hey, we're interested. What's happening. But it was already too late. So I had been released at four. The next morning at 8 a.m., i was on a flight to Cincinnati. Between those two times, I had to move out of my apartment, pack everything, put it in the car. And my wife drove her and the car and the whole apartment with our dog from Scranton, Pennsylvania to Cincinnati, where that next morning I flew, took a physical, moved into a hotel and played in that game and actually broke the Cincinnati Reds debut record. Um, for most RBIs in the game so it was just a total whirlwind and it sounds like a lot but actually that's kind of become old hat for us at this point because we do it a few times a year now
0: do you still hold that record
1: I think so yeah well it helps that it was it's the debut record so everyone only gets one crack at it
0: (laughs) um do you do you remember how many RBIs you got six that's a lot Yeah,
1: unfortunately, we lost the game, but uh, it's still a cool memory for me.
0: Yeah, but you can only do what you can in terms of, (laughs) you don't know, like coming back to what you said earlier, you don't know the pitcher, you don't know the players that well. And do you remember how well the organization was doing that particular year?
1: We were in last place.
0: So it comes, it comes with that. In terms of, do you remember who you were playing?
1: We're playing the St. Louis
0: Cardinals. So most people that know baseball, that's probably got the tradition behind it of being having winning records. So yeah. put two and two together. Okay, it's anything's possible on a given day. Uh, but you did the best that you could in terms of offensive production six RBIs six RBIs is a, is a lot and especially it's your best game for the organization um yeah my
1: my father-in-law uh says he watches that YouTube video about once a week anytime he has a bad day it makes him happy
0: I think I think a lot of people are gonna take what, what what would be what would be if we looked at your stats over the career what would be your average for that statistic? for a season, like the average for RBIs that you are expecting? Average RBIs for a season? It's it's tough to even say that because early in my career in the minors,
1: I was, I was a terrific hitter. I was really great. Um, and then I got to the big leagues. I had sporadic playing time. Again, I was trying to learn how to catch and hit at the same time at the major league level, and I had l- less success when I got to the best level. And then I was kind of up and down, less playing time, and then in the last couple of years, now that I'm a little older, I'm a little more comfortable in my own skin. I'm, I'm better at doing the defense and the offense separately. And I've had more success again as a 34 and a 35 year old. I've had more success offensively than I had in 10 years in between. So I, I don't know what the average is. Um, in my best years, close to close to 100. And then in my in my lesser years, closer to 50, maybe.
0: And, and for you specifically, Ryan, how much do you... Because I, I watch a lot of uh, YouTube videos, Kortski, um, uh, so they look at a lot of facilities, be it in the minors, the majors, and the major sports. Uh, and I think... Oh, I can't remember which... I think it was... No, they looked at Oregon's baseball facility. For your time from going through college to now being at 34, 35 years old, how much has the technology advanced in, 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 for you specifically in, in your position?
1: Oh my God, it's been flipped completely on its head. I think that I've played in the only era where receiving how many times you steal strikes, how many times you trick the umpire has become the most important thing that a catcher does. In 2008, when I was drafted, there was no way to measure that, Right. Games were on TV. They weren't broadcast in HD yet. And a catcher was graded in the three major catcher skills, which are blocking the ball, throwing the ball, and receiving the ball, the way you catch it. It was throwing was number one, blocking was number two, and receiving, you just had to pass the eye test. Does it look okay? New technology was developed where they use lasers similar to what they do in tennis. I think everyone understands this when a player challenges it a a call on the line and they they broadcast the shadow of exactly where the ball hit the ground that's exactly how baseball receiving metrics are measured now. They can tell based on the laser targeting exactly where the baseball crossed home plate and then they plug that into a computer and judge what percentage of the time major league umpires call that a strike. And then the catcher is graded on how many times they beat the average, right? So if the pitch is called a strike 46% of the time, you get the remaining 54% if you got it call to strike that time. What's going to happen in the near future is they're going to use that zone and a strike is going to be a strike and a ball is going to be a ball, right? It's going to be an automatic strike zone based on the laser targeting robot. So the technology went from Receiving was the least important to now receiving has a disproportionately high importance because it affects how many pitches the pitcher throws, what count the batter is hitting in, which affects expected batting average slug, how many times they get on base, run production, how long the defense is on the field. It affects so many things. It's, it's the number one thing for a reason that catchers do. And then again, soon it will be irrelevant because we'll have the laser targeting.
0: So how will you have to adjust or you, or you think you'd, you might not be around in that capacity to have to worry about it? <laughs> That's
1: a good point. I'm not sure. I think whenever the automated ball and strike system comes along, the catcher position is going to be revolutionized again to where throwing becomes the most important. Because recently, hit runners have not been stealing bases in the game today recently. But other changes that they're putting into baseball, the Bases are going to be a little bit bigger, which will bring them six inches closer, which might make stealing more viable. They're going to ban the shift in the league they announced last year, so there's going to be more offense, hopefully. Speed speed is coming back into the game, so I think throwing is going to be more important again, and I think catcher will become more of an offensive position.
0: Why, why do you feel... Stealing has gone down because obviously it's, there's a risk, and uh, I think mostly probably every sport relies on analytics now to some degree, <laughs> to some degree for good or bad, uh, depending on, on where you view that. Especially from a traditional perspective, of a lot of things probably shouldn't be done on metrics as out, like, output like that. But why do you feel uh, players are less likely to do it because ultimately there's there's a there's a risk offensively because there's an out but defensively there's an error you could make because yeah so the
1: analytics the analytics have decided that unless you steal successfully more than 80 percent of the time it's not going to produce more runs over the average course of the season than it is going to create outs so they're saying that only one out of five stolen bases leads to a more run production. When again, the point of the game is to score more runs than the other team. So if only one out of five creates an extra run, you better be safe more than four out of five. That's what the analytics are, are telling. And that's why I think there's more strikeouts and more home runs in the game today because analytics have told us that a home run is the most efficient way to score runs obviously and and pitching has gotten so good it's hard to manufacture three or four hits in an inning so that's how general managers and teams are rewarding players with contracts those are the stats that lead to the most dollars so that's what players have been aiming at
0: yeah but when we look at home runs there's all that conspiracy of you and i are old enough to know of you know barry bonds and all that of the the the, the steroid use of uh, most of those records probably should be expunged because it's like well that's cheating uh, and obviously Barry Bonds um, oh, I can't think of the other ones but of that era there's an asterisk next to it because it's like there's all that consp- um, it's not conspiracy all of that conflict that goes with it as well did they do it legitimately And if you were to look, and obviously people go and Google this, look at Barry Bonds during that that time period and look at him at the beginning. It's like two different people. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not discrediting uh, the achievement because to be able to hit that many home runs in a season is still an achievement. Um, I think most of them he did in San Francisco and I think it's slightly easier uh, in, in that ballpark. But... A lot of that is, obviously, that's a statistic that you could probably go, okay, well, that's home runs, but there's also because um, stigma that goes with it as in terms of it's a blemish on those, those guys' careers and they've had good careers, but they look at it as, well, it shouldn't exist in the first place because it was helped by external forces to be able to repeat re- re- uh, produced those numbers repeatedly over over a period of time.
1: That was, that was an era that you can't tell the history of baseball without telling about that era, right? There's ugly parts of history in the world for every country. Steroid era is over now. The way that they test, you know, people get caught still, but in general, I think the game is very clean. And this year, we're watching Albert Pujols get close to 700 home runs, we're watching Aaron Judge have a historic year for the New York Yankees. I think we're having a revival of true, genuine home run records coming through, and it's pretty, pretty fun to watch. It's a, it's a good time to be a baseball fan.
0: Uh, I think that's a good, that's a good perspective. As in, that's an, that's an era you got to just put it in segment in, in terms of because if you probably were to analyze Babe Ruth stuff as like, well, the pitching speeds are slower. And uh, what other aspects of uh, things are are, are challenged? Because you've obviously played at at collegiate level and then high school, the bats are different between those two and the and the professional ranks of. Why do you think that is? Because that's always been a, a a a thought I've always had as why is it allowed in high school? Uh, and the collegiates have a metal bat or an aluminum bat, and then obviously in the pros it has to be uh, a wooden one. Why do you think that that transition is one is allowed, and then obviously one one is maybe traditional?
1: I think I think the wood is is more pure. I think it's it's better for the game. It's it's more appealing when the ball hits it. The crack of the bat is just so beautiful i think the reason that amateur levels do not use wood is because it's expensive and they break there are college wood bat leagues there are some high school wood bat leagues especially summer summer leagues but it's just so expensive i think especially if they break repeatedly
0: so in your position specifically now ryan how many gloves do you have or how had it during your career? Should I say put it differently? Oh man,
1: I think I go through two catcher's gloves a year. So over fifteen years, plus special tournaments where I got custom gloves. We're talking maybe thirty-two over the over the course.
0: And what 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 would you say is your most um, prestigious one that you had? Obviously, the two thousand thirteen season would be one, and the Olympics would be others. Uh, what of what are some of the others, and where are they? The the
1: current catcher's gear catcher's glove company that I am partnered with made me a beautiful blue custom glove for the Olympics, where they stitched Israel in Hebrew on the side of it, silver trim. Um, that's a that's a really pretty glove. That's probably my favorite of all time, and that's at my house.
0: Would you ever be allowed to to have a And this is maybe in the majors or the minors, a glove that's maybe not the team colors. Would they allow that or no chance? I think there are
1: specific restrictions about what color you can use because I've never seen a white glove in the big leagues. And I feel like I would have seen one by now. I know that pitchers have specific colors that they can use. um, Whereas other positions may use whatever gloves they want. I've seen ice cream cone designed gloves. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for catchers, there are restrictions.
0: Do you think it doesn't, it doesn't have
1: to match the team uniform though?
0: Do you think cause you're, you're front and center on the television screen more often the picture and, and the catcher,
1: maybe but, between that. And also it might be a safety hazard if your glove or uniform, uh, catcher's gear was the same color as the ball, it might be, you might get a slow reaction off the bat.
0: Well, it would be interesting to look at that in terms of technology. There you go MLB or minor leagues, obviously do the testing with this and say to 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 look at because it would. Be, but but from that argument you mentioned, Ryan, for the bat speed, the gloves behind them or her, if you were looking at the softball for the for the women, so it shouldn't be in a, a deterrent. And um, yes, it would be in the direct eye line because it's down there. It's be, it's below them, but if we come back to, to, to what we were talking about in terms of home runs, uh, batting average and, and run scoring, their eyes should be going forward. So yes, it's only human nature to be distracted by other things, but that is why they've got, well, it's not a specialist helmet, but be it you know, the, the eye protection on one side of the head, uh, whereas if you go back a couple of decades, that didn't exist. So there's more and more things uh productively to be able to keep them the eye on the prize but i get the point that you're making in terms of it
1: could i mean be more a of the i think more of the defense who is see, the catcher is I, in get the, you, the, I, I get it, you i get you get a slow reaction off the bat because the ball from their perspective the catcher is the backdrop
0: you could be cheeky and uh this is oh, a british word but you could be uh have the white glove and ch- into the entire inside of the palm though couldn't you Make what it, I well, used I to do,
1: yeah, what I used to do in Little League was draw a target on my palm, and I would go out to the pitcher's mound and like a bullseye and tell the pitcher, "This is exactly where I want you to hit it." And I remember when I was eight years old, we were in the, the California State Championship, and I told my pitcher I'd give him a quarter every time he hit the glove. And I remember he pitched great that day.
0: Well, there's an incentive, isn't there? It's uh, a yeah. it's a it's a reward at the end of that. Uh, the, this is what probably wrong with people's motivation, doesn't matter what it is. As as, as a there's a, a reward at the end of it. There's all likelihood that you're going to be hundred percent of, of or damn well close, <laughs> because you're looking at the, the 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 reward, uh, the result, and and that's it. Whereas. In those skills positions, is probably the process and the the, the the repetition is that that should be the focal point because if you can reproduce that over and over again, you will be successful. It's not as it's not as glorious, but that is what's going to do the that, that that's probably why I can expect that your career had the longevity that it's had is you've done the the small things over and over and and well that organisation time and time again will come calling. As in, he, he is uh, someone that we can count on to be able to deliver. Whereas maybe, and this is maybe begrudging the, the younger athletes, they look at the prize, they look at the um, NIL deals that are going on with collegiate sports. As in, if you're worth that much money, but is there a guarantee that you can deliver at the next level? There isn't yet, because there's, there's no there's no metrics to measure on and will you be able to deal with oh, I use Tennessee as an example uh, as as an, uh, in the college football can you be able to go from competing in front of maybe 10,000 people to now competing in front of hundred thousand so a big there's a big difference okay some people will revel in in that environment they like to be able to to they're almost like a show showman and they would they would enjoy just being able to compete in front of 10 percent about 10 percent 10 times as many people because that's who they are and that's their personality but the point that i'm making of of just focusing on the end result that's obviously not going to serve you long term because that's an external motivator. It's not. It's not what you mentioned at the beginning of for the love of the game. As in, you, you probably still as passionate now as you were when you were seven years old and doing playing the game for the first time.
1: I'm I'm very much a one step at a time type of guy, and and quitting is just not ever an option. Not finishing what I started is just never an option. So when I Look at playing again the next year, getting the next job, keep, keep going. It's just, what do I need to do right now? What's the next thing that I can do to make the next thing happen, to make the next thing happen? Just one step at a time. I I love the metaphor that says you could drive at night from California to New York and only see 10 feet in front of you the whole time, because all you need to know is what's the next step.
0: Do you think you've become very good at that? Because obviously, that the baseball is very specific in its nature of three strikes, nine innings. Okay, depending on other other factors, but those are set in stone in terms of you can't you can't get to the next inning without getting free, free, free outs. Do you think that? And, and obviously, you could go to detail of. Depending on the person, gosh, there could be infinite at bats. Because if the person doesn't get three strikes, you could have two strikes, two balls, and 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 they keep foul balls and and they keep playing. So the 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 point that I'm making with this is that that person could be at bat for forever, not literally, but in terms of it could be yeah. there all day almost.
1: Baseball is unique in that way in that there is no clock. There is no end um, just because the time has elapsed. You really have to complete the tasks, get the outs before you can move on to the next thing. And maybe that's that's why I am the way I am in a step-by-step process kind of guy. Or maybe that's why I'm good at baseball because that's the way I work. You know, chicken or the egg, which came first.
0: Well, I think that's what everybody should do is take one step at a time, put one thing in front of the other, and that's how you get to the the result or the outcome you do the little things over and over again and repeatedly just take one step at a time baby steps and the thing will get easier okay I think probably athletes we probably don't analyze this as much as maybe we should do and this is more having a go at myself because <laughs> it's, it's, it's good or bad or indifferent we have to do it if that's if I want to play in in the minors, I want to play in the majors. I have to do whatever it takes, from probably the very beginnings now, because you need to probably specialize in one sport. I would probably challenge that, but more so now than than ever that that if you wanted to be make it into the professional ranks in it doesn't matter if it's baseball, football, soccer, basketball you need to do these things over and over again. I think Kobe mentioned it, and I think Michael Jordan's done it as well, in terms of you need to be able to do work more than somebody else to be able to do it. Because I think to make a profession in the US, I think it's less than 1%. And that, that, that's quite scary when you think 1% of how many people that start out on the journey make it to the big leagues or make it to the big show it would deter a lot of people cuz am i going to be that one of those 1% in likelihood if you had people being skeptical of that you would quit cuz it's it's the the okay that's 99% likely that it's not but what are you going to do to differentiate yourself from somebody else to be able to do that and that could be obviously you mentioned summer league uh under i think well there's two seasons really in the, in, the, in the pros you've got summer league and then you've got the, the the season but the summer league is to prepare them for the season yeah. ahead
1: i think baseball is very much a sport built on hope or where you have to be built on hope because you fail more than you succeed if you're the a hall of famer you still fail 7 times out of 10 and you're only succeeding 3 and if you're trying to make it to the best league in the world because the best league in the world is here you got to be one of the best 750 players in the world and if you better be one of the best 60 at your position so not even talking about 1% we're talking about 0.00001 like you got to be the best and i i wouldn't discourage players from doing it though because even if you don't make it the major leagues even if you don't make it to the top level you gain life experience you gain so much along the way that you'll take into your life regardless of whether you make it or not you'll learn how to deal with failure failure you'll learn how to succeed how to win you'll learn about yourself you'll learn how to be a part of a team you'll learn how to work for something that's bigger than yourself it's not only about making it and winning the World Series and holding up that trophy. There's so much that you gain along the way.
0: So if we go backwards then for you, Ryan, what were some of your lifelong goals you wanted to achieve in baseball other than get drafted and to win the World Series? I'll take that one off the table.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to make it to the major leagues, but I didn't. Look that far ahead yet, right? When I was in when I was in high school, I wanted to win the championship on the team that I was on, and we ended up doing that my senior year. We were ranked the third best team in the country. We won the California State Championship. I mean, we were nasty. And after that, my coach told me, "Hey, I had a couple of scouts interested you in drafting you into the pros." But I told him not to even talk to you because you were going to go to college. And at that point, I hadn't, like, I wanted to go pro and I knew that was my ultimate goal, but I knew I wasn't there yet. So it didn't, I didn't even let it cross my mind. College, winning the championship in high school and then going to college was the next step. Then I got to college. And in baseball, you're not allowed to get drafted until at least after three years. So I didn't think about it. I wanted to win the all Ivy league. I wanted to be all American. I wanted to break a couple records. So those are the goals that I set for myself. And I just focused on the step-by-step. What do I need to do to break this goal? What exercise routine do I need to do wearing? What weight vest, how many pull-ups, how much do I need to hang clean each step along the way? I focused on each individual thing. And as I tackled that task, as I accomplished that small goal, it brought me closer to my ultimate goal, without me even having to focus on that.
0: You mentioned the Ivy League school, so you're you're quite smart as well to go along with the, the 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 athletic attributes that you've got. Even though you mentioned the they haven't got the speed, you probably had some speed back in the day. Even if you don't say you don't have it anymore. For for the the Ivy League in in specifically is there more of a and this is no offense to any other the, the, the divisions now um because of, i don't want people to say i'm biased um is there more of an importance book on on uh, academia at those institutions than maybe say some of the other ones that, that they could maybe historically and this is this is just facts now this is not me doing hearsay of you know, the players getting to this isn't baseball specific, but like football was synonymous of it, especially like 80s and the 90s of getting tutoring so they would be eligible to play. But for the Ivy League, is in, in particular, was there more of an academic focus or was that something that you put pride in, in, in just for yourself?
1: Yeah, so I can't speak for any other schools because I only know my own personal college experience but I know that I never missed a class for a game and I never missed a class for a practice because our coaches and our institution made sure that school was a priority. I am the only hitter from Yale to ever make it to the major leagues. There's been two pitchers and me so three ever and Yale's been around for 150 years so realistically 99.9 percent of players that go there will be going pro in something else. And they keep that perspective front and foremost, because school is more important for these people, for these student athletes. And I know that some of my professional teammates have talked about like, oh yeah, I missed most classes. I I barely passed this class. I had tutors that helped me with my homework. So, I think it is different, and I think in the Ivy Leagues, they do keep it a priority, probably as they should.
0: And specifically for you, Ryan, what what made you pick Yale over, say, some of the other uh, schools that might have been recruiting you or you had an eye to go to?
1: I was a very late bloomer. So for baseball, it's a spring sport in California, so you have to really get recruited to college before you play your senior season. So you're going off your junior year. I was a 16-year-old kid. I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. I wasn't playing catcher because we had a kid my grade that was much more developed and talented than I was at the time. So I was playing outfield, which is known for the speed position. I don't have speed. I hadn't really learned how to hit yet. So Yale was my best baseball option at the time, in addition to also being my best academic option.
0: I appreciate you sharing that, Ryan. And and for you and Yale specifically, was Omaha ever on 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 the radar for, to be able to get to that end of season tournament? Oh no, I mean we would have loved that, but we were not a good winning team
1: when I was there. Unfortunately,
0: so is that is that a it's not really a regret? Is that one of those things that you'd like to have like an asterisk next to us? Oh, only if as in I'm putting. Negative things into your head, but in terms, oh, if if only the team would have been a little bit better, I could have, what's the high school state championship, just having that appearance a little, and then obviously having the, what probably every baseball kid wants is is to win a World Series.
1: Um, I don't think that Omaha, we would we would have loved to have won the Ivy League at least. I don't think that any Ivy League team is is realistically at this point. Gonna make it to Omaha and win the College World Series, but I know that we would have loved to have won the Ivy League. And we had we had some bats. We just we didn't pitch or play defense so well when I was there. Um, it just is what it is. We had a great time. We had a great group. Those teammates for me are some of my best friends and will be for life. So I don't have any regrets. I just I mean it would have been great if we were a better team, but it just we just weren't.
0: But that's a challenge now, because obviously if you look at social media, you look at, gosh, you could mention any any single one of them, it's almost like a recruiting video to be able to see see these these facilities. So they'd probably look at, the SEC's probably got a little bit of advantage because there's that history to go with it. So it's a lot easier to attract good players when you've obviously got the how would I describe this? The proof is in the pudding. As in, the, you've 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 got all the people on the wall. You've got what people have achieved, and, and people obviously would flock to that. Flock to it, sorry. Whereas, this is probably something that I don't like of the current generation. This is only my opinion. Uh, it's more so maybe outside of baseball when it gets tough, or there's somebody at their position and their underclassmen they don't step up to the challenge of okay if that person's better better than you what are you gonna do about it as opposed to transfer and to take easier pastures that's probably something I don't like of of the current generation whereas that might be of our decade that's why we've been brought up by our parents as hey what you gonna do about it that person's coming in for your place what, what are you are you gonna have something to say about that and if they're better than you after the everything that come for it that person's going to be a lot better as well because they've had to fight for that position
1: yeah i can i can see it from both perspectives i i totally agree with you that's how i was raised also my father always said to me when i was growing up it doesn't matter if you're the second best in the entire world at what you do if the first place guy's right in front of you So you better be able to play a secondary position. And that's why I was able to play outfield in high school, right? I was a catcher. I played catcher on the junior varsity team, won the MVP of that team, but I was never going to play varsity as a catcher. It's just, that was just my reality. I wasn't going to change schools because we moved into that school district on purpose to play at this high school. So I learned to play another position. That being said, there's so much money on the table to get drafted into the NFL. We were, it sounded like you were talking about yeah. college college football players in particular. There's It's life-changing generational wealth potentially for these players where if they get the opportunity to play and showcase themselves, they could change the whole course of their entire family tree. So I understand – their motivation to, to make sure that they have the opportunity to show what they've got versus make somebody else better on the practice team. So there there's, there's a certain point of play, enjoy it. You only get to play for so long. A lot of people's playing days end when they're 20, 21 years old, because at the end of college, that's it. So it's a very short window where that you need to maximize. I would just say, don't give up too early. Don't let that competition push you away. Embrace the competition. See how good you can get. And then if you're really heading, hitting a wall, if you're really ramming into something that you can't overcome, only then do you look to maybe transfer.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing your, your your perspective on that. I'm going to give you a challenge now, Ryan. Can you name all the teams that you've played for?
1: I can, but only if I do it in order. Um uh, Boston Red Sox, Baltimore Orioles, Atlanta Braves, Los Angeles Dodgers, Chicago Cubs, Oakland A's, Pittsburgh Pirates. And then it was the Yankees, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Indians, Miami Marlins, Cleveland Indians again, Detroit Tigers, Miami Marlins again.
0: I I still can't I it's I still struggle with Miami as a team because it's I grew up and you did as well with it being Florida Marlins yeah <laughs> so it's it's harder to get that off the tongue so in in terms of and I could see your eyes going in terms of like thinking in terms of where it is if you had to do the minor leagues in there as well could you do it or no is that too difficult
1: oh boy if I had to throw the minors in there I might need some help. Um, I remember my some of my favorite cities, Portland, Maine, Nashville, Indianapolis, Columbus, Ohio, Louisville. Uh, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida right now. But there's probably 10 more cities.
0: What What's so special about the ones that you mentioned from a minor league perspective? Perspective. Perspect- a
1: of, yeah, a lot of them have experienced the city. Um, we're big foodies, so we always try new restaurants, new coffee shops. We like to be outdoors, so the weather plays a part in, it, in what we like. And if, if there's parks, if there's trails, if it's walkable, um, Indianapolis has a beautiful canal that you can walk down and be outside. Portland, Maine is just a beautiful outdoor city with great seafood, lots of restaurants. Uh, it's really just the, the livability. We loved Boston. It's a, a very outdoor, very beautiful city. Lots of great restaurants.
0: So what was it like for you then, Ryan? Because you obviously start your career in Boston, but then you play for the Yankees and they hate each other. Especially the (laughs) (laughs) fans.
1: I'll tell you what, I also didn't play very well for the Yankees organization. So um, maybe the Boston fans like me even more for that. I don't know.
0: (laughs) But is that difficult for for, for a player to potentially have to deal with that in the future having going from one organization okay those are probably the easiest one to use as an example which is easy way out but say some of the other rivalries within baseball for the player that hey it's not your doing to be traded or to be sent down to another organization and obviously there's some diehard fans that probably wouldn't that wouldn't matter to them as in you're, you're a traitor at the end of the day.
1: I think, uh, so again, I think of it two different ways. First of all, my I had a single-A coach that was really influential in my career. He, had, he helped me a lot. And he said, he, always, he, he really always said that you're playing for all 30 teams when you're in the minor leagues. You're trying to get called up. You're trying to get traded. You're just trying to find an opportunity for yourself because at the end of the day, you're you're a mercenary. You're trying to get that opportunity. Um, That being said, there are some guys that famously signed a free agent contract with the rival team. That's a choice that they made. You know, they took the money to go to the rival team. So that's not a a choice that I ever had the opportunity to make. And I don't know how I would have done it. But as as a loyalist growing up, I was a Dodger fan growing up in L.A., I always thought that players should take a little bit less money to stay with the hometown team if that was an option, but I never had the chance to to see whether I would actually follow through with that myself or not.
0: And do you think, obviously, with you playing in, and this, this more so in present day, you're seeing more and more the ma- uh, the not major league, the minor league teams obviously giving themselves their own nickname because then that doesn't change if they were to move from one organization. Uh, to another. Do, do you think that is, because I think you you played with one, uh, Bo, I think Boston was the article, uh, that Portugget doesn't exist because they move cities, but there's, there's still I believe it's still the Red Sox, but obviously that makes sense because it's in the New England a, a, a area to be that because obviously most people in the, the New England era would be, well, a Red Sox fan, Patriots fan, and they don't have to think about it. So do you think with um, teams in the miley league specifically, I use Jacksonville because obviously that's quite unique, John Bushrim, <laughs> in yeah. terms of a name, but do you think that's given themselves a legacy, irrespective if they were to move from one organization to the other they keep their name and obviously they, that that's obviously very distinctive uh, i can't think of many others that are uh, very good I,
1: I think it's also a really good business decision by these franchise owners of these minor league teams this year i was a toledo mud hen and the jacksonville jumbo shrimp and i know that those are two of the top five merchandise selling teams in all of minor league baseball also I think the local communities in these in these maybe second, I don't want to say second tier, but um, smaller than major league cities, they really identify with the team name and they really get behind it. I know that here in Jacksonville, I go to the airport and there's jumbo shrimp merchandise at the airport or I go to the grocery store and there's always someone wearing a hat or a T-shirt at the store. And you can really feel the
0: community rally around these teams do you do you and how long have you been in the jacksonville area uh area for i got traded here
1: june 20th so it's been four months
0: do you think there's more there's more back into the baseball team because obviously the nfl team is not very good <laughs>
1: <laughs> the stadiums are right next to each other uh so right behind the right field fence is the parking lot and then the the jaguar stadium and it's it's kind of cool to look at um I don't know. I think I think the people that Jacksonville is a good sports town,
0: and that's no offense to the city. That's right now, as in we're recording <laughs> this. This might uh, in a year's time might be different. Two years time, I might have to eat my words. But as of yeah, right now, 2022, I am well. correct. <laughs> so no, but as in, I think from a from a Jersey perspective, is is that's that's nice. But obviously, they haven't got. But they've they've invested in in terms of for the future and well i think Lawrence. um I can't think, yeah and on my
1: instagram i'm having a lot of fun with the jumbo shrimp mascot playing pranks on him
0: I'm, i can't pick i can't picture this so i'm gonna have to look at your instagram to see because i can't picture a massive big mascot of a shrimp
1: yes hopefully hopefully it makes you smile as much as it made me smile to film the videos
0: well, it's, it's different I think so, so people got some context I don't sound American but I my, my my dad is and I've been to two minor league games um my dad lives out in Washington State so Tacoma Rainiers and that that ballpark is obviously the backdrop is is a mountain so you you're not going to get depending on where you are in the U.S. the the name makes sense because it's in reference to a, to a to, uh, one of three mountains that the, that the state's got. And that's been a, a minor league affiliate of the Mariners for a very, very, very long time. I think there was somebody in yeah. Beautiful stadium. So, so, but my dad obviously didn't want to go to a major league game because of obviously all the expenses that come with it, parking, uh, games. But I think I got to feel uh, the experience of what a, a, a minor league game, that's still AAA, so it's not... That far from the majors, and there's probably a lot of ma- uh, major league players that have been p- put down and, uh, or on their way to coming up, uh, and they had a good team. So I've experienced it behind behind home plate, and I've experienced it, obviously in the ble- the bleachers was obviously quite d- interesting. But uh, I I gave one of my best friends my gloves, so I didn't have a glove. So there's loads of ball I could have get had as a souvenir from the game. But I've got a lot of ex- uh, of experience to be able to. Have to go to at least a professional uh, sports game in the U.S. That I I, how old have I been? The minor league games. The minor league games are
1: so so fun because it's accessible both financially and it's a much more intimate setting. These stadiums seat twelve to fourteen thousand instead of forty or fifty, so fans are closer. They they do family friendly entertainment between the innings where they bring fans onto the field and they. One of the promotions they do here is they throw Halloween like severed hands over your shoulder and you try to catch them in giant underpants and they call it the hands in the pants challenge. It's, <laughs> they just do fun stuff and, and it's family-friendly entertainment.
0: I thought you were going to say they're going to throw f- free shrimp into the crowd. <laughs> there might be an idea. I if, if need a health <laughs> <as would> there. <laughs> as long as it's cooked. Cook. You want uh, to get hit with
1: the forehead with the flying shrimp?
0: <laughs> yeah, well still with with there's still health and safety risks with anything in terms of they probably look at every av- avenue of I I that that's quite unique in terms of the, the, the game that you're talking about of it's not with well, it was probably closest when it gets to Halloween. Uh would we're, we're, we're just doing it in September. It's still relatable, but say July, August that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but if that's what you're gonna to come to expect from a game it's one aspect of well, what sport is is entertainment, so it's family entertainment, get everybody involved, get all the things to rally around and obviously go from there and it's 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 not to you any harm from a player's perspective to do social media with the with the mascot and so on and um i'm trying to think which is probably the most recognized one in in the pro i think it's the reds it's uh either
1: the mr red or the philly fanatic is pretty famous yeah too. i think that's
0: philly's philly i'm thinking it's like a green monster which makes no sense like with yeah. the trunk but it's to get the next generation of, 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 of fans to, to, to like their team so if, if the mascot is unique it's going to stand out because oh, I, want, I want to see him I don't <laughs> care about the game I want to see him at any, any occasion that I've got so we're coming to the, the end of the, the show Ryan and I like to ask this of all my guests and if you got to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive for that matter, who would that be and why?
1: Who would that be and why? Um the first person that comes to mind is is Babe Ruth, because I've always been fascinated by him and he's bigger than the sport. He's just a folk hero. Um I also wrote a couple papers on him in college and read his autobiography. But I think it would be much more interesting and much more meaningful to talk to somebody like Hank Aaron or, or Jackie Robinson who it, weren't necessarily beloved in their time and had to overcome a lot of adversity. Um, I would love to talk to one of those guys and just understand the strength and the resilience that, that they had to be able to overcome and uh, just accomplish everything they did in spite of what the world didn't wanting them to do it at the time. I think that would be just wonderful.
0: And my last question before we end the show, if you are to summarize into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Summarize myself. What we've, what we've spoke about today.
1: Sorry. What, what we talked about today. Um, it's really, as, as you're your podcast the mindset athlete my mindset has always been know where you're going and take each step along the way to get there
0: so once again ryan thanks again for coming on the mindset athlete podcast
1: yeah thank you i'm i'm so glad to
0: have met you and uh i really appreciate your time thanks for having me oh, it's been my absolute pleasure Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth, An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.